It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 30th of March as of recording, which means that four days have passed since my first ever birthday in quarantine. Um, it was a fun day. I was by myself for a lot of it, but I'll, I'll be honest, <laughs> when you wake up and you have about two hours of video calls from different people, it's lovely. It's really lovely hearing from people. But sometimes you just want to get up and have a coffee uh, and just actually have a bit of time to yourself. So there is a there is a certain blessing in the quarantine itself. Um, but thank you to everyone that did shout out their birthday wishes. I appreciate uh, everyone getting in touch and saying happy birthday, particularly on at this point. I was I was due to have a party this weekend and that party clearly isn't going ahead. So I'm penting up and I'm storing up all this extra energy for when that party gets rearranged after all of this is over and the world returns to something akin to normal. Um, what else have I been up to? I have been chipping away doing a buttload of work on the Collaboration for Authors book, which is my first nonfiction, um, based a lot of my experiences with collaborations over the past five years. Uh, I'm interviewing people who collaborate. I'm getting other voices in there. It's going to be quite a fun one. Um, and as it stands, it's looking to be probably a good 35 to 40k, probably when it's finished. Um, depends how much I, I trim off of editing, but it's been a, a really interesting experience to actually write some nonfiction because it's, I, I don't really know how to explain it. For people who've not written nonfiction, um, it's probably hard to explain. For people who've written nonfiction, they'll get what I mean. Uh, but this, it, I feel like it's easier because you're trying to convey literally just your own thoughts and there's not so much pressure in terms of entertaining people. Obviously, there's an element of entertaining within nonfiction as well. But when you're writing fiction, you're writing for a very specific wide audience, whereas with nonfiction, you're writing to solve someone's problem. So as long as I'm putting my experience over and providing some things that are helpful, I feel like there's a little bit less pressure. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how that actually translates when the book goes live. Um, I haven't got a specific date in mind for publishing it yet because at the minute I'm just getting to the end of that first draft and then there'll be some work to come in the future. But I'm probably aiming for somewhere around the end of May, maybe June time, um, which quite a quick turnaround but you know we've got a buttload of time at the minute in quarantine so find a way to make it work uh, i'm also chipping away at the plans for my horror series which i've not said too much about yet um and i promise that i'll talk a little bit about that at some point in the future but it, that's my experiment that i'm playing around with trying to I'll, I'll keep quiet on that one but i've got i've got some ideas and i will share them once i've got them a bit more substantial and in line for you so there'll be hopefully lots of stuff to learn from Today's guest is Jonathan Yanez, who uh, is the author of such non-fictions as Get It Done and who is a science fiction author who has been absolutely killing it um, and expanding far beyond the, or looking at expanding far beyond the realms of the actual fiction itself. The conversation we go into his uh, current search at the minute to move things into film, uh, video games, all the different sort of rights and licensing options, how that's all going. 
Um, we talk a lot about physical health. He is a personal, uh, he's a part-time personal trainer. Um, so he is ideal to talk to about how you can stay fit and healthy, particularly at this point with coronavirus, but also just generally as writers, because writing is a sedentary sport and physical health plays a large, large part into your mentality and how you can actually keep going on the days when it feels hard to do. Um, we talk about failing early and failing often and failing forward. And Jonathan, being the competitive soul that he is, we go into uh, our first ever on the air challenge, which is, can he perform the fastest ever quick fire round? And it's quick. I'll be honest, it's quick. Um, I'll let you listen uh, a bit later and see how fast just exactly that is. But it, uh, it definitely sets a precedent for other people who want to give it a go. I'll be trying to convince future guests to see if they want to take his high score. Um, and we'll see how that goes. But that was definitely interesting. No new patrons this week, but once again, you can join over at patreon.com forward slash great writers share. If you'd like to get more behind the scenes content, um, if you'd like to get ad free episodes and support the show for just as little as a single dollar a month. Um, the winner of March's monthly giveaway, which was the book Becca Symes, Dear Writer, You Need to Quit, will be pulled right now. I've got everything loaded into a random name generator and I'm going to click a button and draw the winner. So hopefully the mic picks this up. I'm going to do an extra loud click just for emphasis. And congratulations, Ian J. Middleton. You are the winner of Becca Symes, Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. Uh, I'll get in touch and we'll find a way to ship that over to you. And that should hopefully be in your post box within a week. Fingers crossed. Depends how the postal system's working at the minute. Um, but yeah, congratulations, Ian. Uh, anyone who wants to enter into next month, which I will be announcing the book next week, uh, then please just hop on over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share and you can get involved in the monthly giveaway over there. Last week's question was, how have you found positivity in the unlikely places while adhering to the quarantines? Uh, we had a few good responses. Got one from Meg Cowley, who says, it's been so sunny and I haven't spent this much time outside in the garden since summer. So it's been super nice to be able to get outside in the sun, even if life, as we know, it, is collapsing. <clears throat> and uh, I completely agree. I, f I find it incredibly ironic, particularly people who are in the UK. Um, and I'm not sure how the weather is everywhere else, but we've had our first proper full week of sun and it's been glorious. Um, and the sunshine came pretty much the day that Boris Johnson announced that the UK was going into lockdown. So I, I don't know what kind of irony that is, but I've had some nice walks and sort of spent a bit of time in the garden as well, which has been lovely. Uh, Holly Lynn, sorry, Holly Line says, my neighbourhood is usually really quiet, but this week it's been vibrant with kids playing out and neighbours chatting over their fences. It's so lovely to see community spirit while still observing social distancing. Uh, so I'm assuming that the kids are hopefully staying within their gardens or away from each other. Um, yeah, definitely. I've seen a lot of people actually talking and stopping by at fences and talking over to people, which has been quite nice to observe um, in my street as well. Josh Grosskopf, sorry if I've actually butchered your name. Uh, my son decided to make an appearance in a video conference while wearing a shark bathrobe, which I absolutely love the idea of that. Um, I'm hoping it was something similar to the video that got released a year or two ago of the guy being interviewed and his two children coming in the back and the nanny ushering them out. Um, what would be great is if you do have footage of that video and you could just add the baby shark song over the top, that would be absolutely awesome and something i definitely paid to see. Um, so thank you everyone for sending those in. My question for you next week, based off of the subject of this interview, is how do you incorporate exercise into your writing routine? Uh, feel free to go over to the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash share or the Patreon page. Um, all the links are in the show notes. 
And uh, you can also tag me at WilcoxAuthor or use the hashtag GreatWritersShare. Now, without any further ado, I'm going to dive into the interview with the one and the only Jonathan Yanez. Enjoy. Jonathan Yanez is an author of sci-fi and fantasy fiction. He's a creative mind behind the Forsaken Mercenary series and the Gateway to the Galaxy series. He is also the author of the nonfiction Get It Done, Heart-Hitting Motivation for Authors, which I would highly recommend. This is not where Jonathan's skills end, however. He is also a former personal trainer, a part-time model, and an all-round inspiring guy. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Dan, thanks so much for having me on, brother. No worries. I'm excited to get you on. Just uh, to come back to that little part in the intro, I did read Get It Done, um, I believe it was probably about two years ago, and it came at a point in my author career in which uh, it was very, very useful because it was around the time that I was in the day job. I was writing, but after, I think I was probably about three four, three or four years into writing and balancing it around the day job. And uh, it was one of those moments I think everyone has where you suddenly go, ah, do I continue? Is it worth it? How do I, how do I find that productivity again? Um, and in reading that book and I blazed through it and it had some fantastic nuggets in there. Um, and it really gave me that kick into pushing harder and harder and harder. So um, I want to say personally, thank you for that. But then also to turn that into a question, um, how did all that journey start for you? What, what made you sit down and go, okay, I'm a fiction writer, but I'm going to start looking at this nonfiction for authors. Well, Dan, I'm, I'm glad that my words were able to help you out. I feel like from coming from like a personal training uh, standpoint, a lot of times I can relate my author life to the same principles used in the gym or personal training. And one of the, like the foundation pieces is just that you don't give up. Right. So um, I only train two clients now because my author career has really taken off and I probably wouldn't train anymore at all, except that I know I'm so <laughs> driven to get things done that if I didn't have clients who I knew were going to be at the gym, I probably would even work out less just because, you know, I'm working on that next book or that next project. Mm. So with, yeah, with get it done, I just wanted to help motivate people and just tell them like, Hey, you're not alone. Like everybody's going through this. Like the only way that you should be disappointed in yourself is if you give up. But if you get like bad reviews, if you have an unsuccessful launch, if you can't just finish a chapter, that's fine. You just got to keep on trying, right? The only way that you could be defeated is if you give up. That's it. Definitely. And one, one additional question on writing the actual um, nonfiction side of it, because I'm a massive fan of irony and I love the idea that this project could have taken you four years to do, to write a book about getting it done. Was it a slow journey to write that book or was it very much you lived your mantra when you wrote it and it was get it done, boom, I've, I've written this book? No, for sure. So in all fairness, though, get it done is a short book. And I, I intentionally made it short because I didn't want somebody, you know, sitting down for hours or days on end. Um, consuming this content before they were able to implement it. So it's a short book. It's only 15,000 words, but I write my own personal schedule is writing 4,000 words a day. So I was able to write and finish that book within a week. Mm. No, that's perfect. I, uh, and I love what you mentioned a little bit there about uh, the personal training side of things, because that's definitely something that I want to dig into. Um, because, I mean, how, how long have you been in the personal training game, when did that all come around? And what are some of the lessons that have crossed over into your author business in relation to that? Yeah, so let's see. Eight years ago, I quit my job to write full-time. And as we all know, when you start writing full-time, you're not making a whole lot of money when you first start. Uh, unless you have like a lightning strike, right? You hit it big all of a sudden out of nowhere, which didn't happen for me. If it happened for you, 
no. uh, people listening <laughs> out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you, but I'm like, anybody else listening out there, congratulations. Yeah. But uh, so eight years ago, quit, started working, not bringing any income, just writing. And then I knew like, hey, I needed to bring in money some way. So I started personal training. And then I did personal training for about two to three years. And then I realized like, hey, I'm starting to bring in some more income. Um, I'm going ahead and quit. Still like personal training, you know, a couple people on the side, but move more of my time and resources to really like making this author thing work. And then it wasn't until five years in. So we're saying now like end of 2017, that thing's really picked up. It was, it was that five year mark. I don't know if five is a magic number, but I've heard it from <laughs> other people as well. It's like five years of just like working on your craft and grinding, not taking no for an answer, just getting up, you know, those 5 a.m. mornings mm. to uh, get work done. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, the early morning thing has always been massively crucial for me. I find that my, my days are always better when I have that early morning. And I know not everyone is a, an early morning get up and do it, but I know that that's something that I've particularly taken to and forced myself to get into the habit of because it's just, there seems to be something... I don't know. I don't want to use the word magical, but there's something um, mystic, I guess, about the morning and getting up and just getting straight on with the words and making sure that word count is done. Um, I don't know if you find the same. Right. No, you took the words right out of my mouth. And Dan, this is something that you're going to understand. I was just hanging out with uh, some people a couple of weeks ago and he was like, oh, you own your own business. And I was like, yep. So we're just talking. He's like, what time do you wake up? And I told him I wake up at 5 a.m. He's like, why would you wake up at 5 a.m. if you own your own business? You can make yes. your own hours. That's crazy. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I think you have it like backwards, right? You have it reversed. Mm. I have my own business because I've been waking up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I, I find that part of it astounding, particularly people who are, just don't seem to understand that mentality of it's not, it's not a labor if you love what you're doing and if you've like you say, worked hard to get to a point where you're running your own business. It's not a labor to get up and still do the things that made you successful enough to do it full-time in the first place. But there's definitely that illusion of, okay, now you've hit a certain point where you've left the day job, you're doing what you want to do full-time, and now you can just stop everything. And that's something that I know I've been very conscious of ensuring that I don't do, and particularly from the start, because I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was self-employed, um, a few years back before I don't know it's probably about five or six years ago um and I did I made every mistake that you could make so I knew going into this a second time um now that I'm full-time that I I would just continue with those habits and do the things that I know work for me and it's not it's not a labor once once you're actually doing the thing that you want to do you've you've earned what you've got and that's that's just a part of what it is Right. And to your point too I, I've know people and I've seen people who have hit a certain level of success. And then I don't know, maybe they never loved it to begin with or something else happened, but then they just stop. And then they mm. kind of either just either level out and you don't hear from them anymore, or they might even decline. So mm. I think you're totally right. It's like that passion, like, hey, this is what I really want to do. So waking up at 5 a.m. Yes, it's going to be hard sometimes, but it is not like you hate waking up at 5 a.m. to do what you want to do. No. What does your typical day look like in terms of routine, what you try and pack into it? Does that vary on a day-to-day or is it normally quite set in what you do? It's pretty set. So I do six days a week. I wake up at 5 a.m. to write, so Monday through Saturday. I hit 4,000 words a day, and I've been using sprints. So usually I can hit 1,000 words in maybe like 20 to 30-minute sprints. Mm -hmm. And then I'll take a break, grab some coffee, 
go let the dogs outside, whatever, come back and do another sprint. And about eight o'clock is when my wife and my daughter have their day starting. So I stop working and go hang out with them, make breakfast. And then usually by that time, I have the bulk of my work day done. I might still need to get like another hour or two here or there to get another sprint that I didn't finish or answer some emails or for like an interview. But that's about it. Nice. Very, very simple routine. Have a, cause one thing that I'm, <laughs> one thing I'm conscious of trying not to do during this interview um, is to link this back to coronavirus and everything else that's going on at the minute. Cause obviously in terms of society at the minute, there's a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of people who haven't done the work from home thing before. There are a lot of people that aren't sure of how best to exercise during this time. So I'm trying not to go too deep down that path, but I'm sure that we'll touch on this somewhat as we go through. Cause obviously this is relevant to people um, right now. Has your routine in any way been impacted by what's currently going on with coronavirus? So um, I guess just in two ways, one more so than the other. So, I mean, there's no more gym. So I still was training four times a week. Mm. So I'd work out with my clients and then afterwards stay to do maybe like another 20 or 30 minutes of cardio for myself. So all the gyms are shut down. So there's none of that. And then the major thing is I have a three-year-old who, you know, went to gym classes and she has mm. her swimming classes and her time to get out and, you know, hang out with her friends and socialize. So that's been a little bit harder, but we're working um, ways around it, like with like FaceTime or the gym that she went to had a live broadcast where they could like follow along with different things to do on her. Oh, amazing. Mat. Yeah. So, I mean, we're working around it. Yeah. And in terms of, uh, like you say, your routine there is sort of hitting the gym four times a week. How does that impact on your author life? I feel, I think you might agree with me, Dan, just talking to you this much. I feel like you and I and everybody else who's out there making this author life work, we're athletes. Mm. Like it's true, right? You got to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, if you're not eating correctly, if you're not exercising, if you're not getting outside to get that vitamin D, you're going to suffer either mentally or physically. So you've really got to take care of your body. And you know, for everybody that might look a little bit different. If you're not able to go to the gym four times a week, then maybe that just means going on a walk two times a week. Or, you know, if you're not able to, if it's hard for you to eat every meal healthy, maybe you eat two out of three meals healthy. Mm. You know, like wherever you're at, I feel like there's a good starting point. And as you, like anything, like as you work on it, as you work about taking care of yourself physically and mentally, those things start getting easier. And it's not necessarily that those things all of a sudden change and eating healthy is easier or working out is easier. It's just that you're getting stronger. What's the motivation that will kick people into the gear? And the reason I do ask this is uh, I'm very, I'm conscious of what I eat and I eat, I wouldn't say healthy as I could, but I eat, I'm conscious of trying to eat the healthy things, the whole foods, um, getting all the nutrients, everything else that you need. In terms of exercise, I cycle into town where I live. So that's about a four mile bike ride into town and a four mile bike ride home. So I'm doing some kind of cardio every day. What I'd love to do is get to a point in which I'm doing more um, strength training and more, my mind's gone blank. What's the opposite of cardiovascular? It is strength, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're talking about like lifting weights? Yeah. Yeah. So more, yeah. Some more of that. Um, obviously more difficult with uh, things as they are at the minute, but how, how do you find the balance? And maybe do you have any sort of particular resources that are good for starting and getting people into the right zone? Because exercise obviously is individual for every single person but getting people onto the right track is maybe something that could be universally accessible for people. 
Right. So I feel like the best way to start is starting slow, right? So if you all of a sudden try to go like on a crash diet, or in this case, you know, working out lifting four or five times a week, you're going to get super sore and less likely to be able to continue this uh, new schedule that you have for yourself. So if somebody's new to the gym, like hasn't been lifting or working out, I would say just twice a week. Just start with twice a week, just maybe 45 minutes. Are you familiar with Jason Statham? Yes. So I was reading an article saying that Jason Statham is preparing for a role. He only does 45 minutes at the gym. What? Yeah, and he looks great. So he does 45 minutes. And the reason that he's able to do 45 minutes is because he's eating super clean. But mm. then also with that 45 minutes, he's making his time count. So I can't tell you how many times I've been at the gym and there's somebody just sitting on a machine checking their <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn, like you name it. And I'm, I'm like done with one set and then they're just still sitting there, haven't done something else, right? So I would encourage people like when you do go, make the most of your time. So it doesn't mean like racing through different exercises, but it means that, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, doing a set and then maybe waiting until your muscles recovered 20, 30 seconds and then doing another set. Um, but yeah, I would say just start slow wherever you're at. So if you're new to the gym, I'd say two times a week, 45 minutes. And for a lot of people that kind of takes the, um, burden off them thinking that like, Oh no, I have to go five times a week for an hour, an hour and a half each. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. It's amazing how much that crosses over because it's, just, it's similar with writing in terms of when you're trying to write big chunks, like you mentioned earlier, obviously you do sprints. Sprints is something that I definitely do as well in which you break down that 4,000 words of your target into sizable chunks that you can actually access. And obviously that's similar with the gym. Um, I'm, I'm very similar in that I, I, if I find myself overwhelmed, I will just step down and go, okay, 15 minutes of this, 20 minutes of this. And uh, it's amazing how much that does cross over, not just with writing, but just with pretty much everything in life. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you said something earlier, too, in our conversation that really struck me. You said that in a previous job, you felt like you had make it, made every mistake in the book. <laughs> yes. Right? So, I mean, I, one of my favorite sayings is fail early, fail often, fail forward. I love it. Right? So, I mean, even at the gym, like, sure, you might not be able to the first day, day one, you know, lift as much weight as you want, but that's fine. You might be sore the next day, and that's good. Like, a pain is not good, but being sore is good because that means that you went ahead and you tore the muscles so that they can grow back stronger, tearing those muscle fibers. So if you're sore, that's a great, right? So mm -hmm. you'll continue to get there week after week as you go and give your time, your body time to recover and then go again. And then like you said, writing is the same way, right? Like every single time we sit down uh, as, as you're starting this new routine, if you have, let's say, let's say sprints, if you haven't started sprints yet, you might not hit, you know, that first um, 20 or 30 minutes, you might get distracted or you might catch yourself going back and editing, but that's fine. As long as you learn and you're better and better the next time. Like I tell myself all the time, if with each book I write, if I could only get 1% better, then that would be enough because I'm going to keep on writing until the day I die. I'm not going to give up. So if you can just get a little bit better and a little bit better and fail forward every time you'll get there. Mm. Have you read James Clear's Atomic Habits? No, but I want to just hear the title. Definitely. I mean, uh, I think it's, if I'm right in thinking that book definitely mentions a sort of 1% um, net gain on everything you're doing and what that stacks up to. That's, ma that's a massive, uh, a massive way to definitely push forward. Flipping I'm going to write it down. Can you give me that name again? Yeah, it's uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Oh. Got it.
and everyone at home, please make sure you're writing yours as well. <laughs> um, but I'd love to also, so we've spoken a little bit about obviously the benefits of exercise, uh, some of the ways that that transfers over into writing. Um, and I mean, I think people who listen to the show will notice the last few episodes, I've gone very, very heavily into mindset with people, but mindset seems to literally be everything when it comes to actually getting it done, particularly with creative endeavors. One thing that I would love to do is flip the question slightly on its head and ask you, how does it impact your writing when you don't get the exercise that you want? I feel sluggish. I feel a little slower. I think there's a methodology behind um, you look good, you feel good, you do good. So when I know that I'm not living up to my potential or that I missed uh, a gym because I was binging The Witcher, because who hasn't? <laughs> it's a fantastic uh, show. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, I think that he would make a good Wolverine. That's a, that's a separate conversation. But a lot of people were like, no, he can't be Wolverine. I was like, I can see that. Okay, I could, yeah. <laughs> but sorry, sorry, that's not the point. So uh, the question was, yeah, so I would say that when I am not living up to my potential, like what I know I'm capable of doing, it's definitely a mind thing. And then hitting the keyboard uh, with those, you know, depleted energy levels when I am not getting exercise and I'm not working out when I'm not eating healthy, it definitely makes a big difference. Mm exercise people i uh, i want to flip this around a little bit and move away from exercise and uh, non-fiction and look a little bit at your fiction stuff because as you we were saying before we actually started recording um your fiction first and foremost fiction is where i believe you started your journey um what is it about the sci-fi genre and the fantasy genre that you enjoy writing in so much and why is that where you're making your your claim no i just don't like rules I don't know if you're a big <laughs> rule person, but I don't like rules. So I know, so even writing that nonfiction book was kind of hard for me. But again, I mean, I was able to do whatever I wanted. But just like mm. going into fantasy and sci-fi, it's just that anything is possible. Like you have, if I was a painter, I would have a blank canvas in front of me. And then anything that I wanted to create would be possible. And that's what fiction and science fiction is for me. It's having that blank slate. There's no rules. Like the only rules that, are, that live inside your book or ones you create so you can do anything that you want. And it's just freedom for me. And you're eight years into your, um, is that into your full-time author journey? Yeah. So eight years ago, I went ahead and quit my full-time job, cashed in my 401k, put my back against the wall and just told myself that this was going to work. Amazing. Congratulations. Um, I, def- I, did, I did read that somewhere as well, that you, you said that you left yourself no safety net at all. You just, you just went for it. Yeah, I went, I went ahead and I burned my boats and I just told myself, I just gave myself no other option besides that this had to work. Okay. I'm imagining that a lot of people listening will be hearing that and going, how? How is that even possible? Um, I know that for, for me, I was very similar that I probably should have saved a lot more, but I, <laughs> I, got, to, I got to a point with my job where um, there's a bit of a mixture of I was ready to leave, but also they gave me reasons to leave. Um, and I, I took that plunge and luckily it, I'm coming up to one year now. So I'm doing, I'm doing okay at the minute. Um, but what did that process look like for you? How did you get to a point where you could confidently go, right, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to make it work. How, how did that look? I mean, there was a lot of factors. One of the factors was I was working at a job and I, I'm pretty motivated and driven. Like I want to do well. Uh, and I saw my boss and I'm what my boss was doing and I had zero desire to do have his job and I just thought to myself like if I don't even want my boss's job so I don't want a promotion then what am I doing here and I just kept on hearing those statistics I'm sure you've heard them too it's like seven or eight out of ten people hate their jobs yes 
It's painful. And I just told myself, yes, it's so sad too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard a quote somewhere saying that there's great things waiting for you on the other side of fear. Yes. <laughs> and I, right. And I just thought to myself, like, I'm afraid to quit because I'm afraid, you know, that I won't, wouldn't be able to make it, that I wouldn't have any money. But I just told myself that I couldn't live this life anymore. So mm. I just straight up quit without telling my wife, cashed in my 401k. She knew about cashed in the 401k. She didn't know about me quitting. Yeah. So that was a fun conversation. So yeah, but since then, it was just, you know, I would say eight years worth of struggle. But you know what? When you're doing something that you love, yes, it's for sure it is struggle, but it's like a good type of struggle. Because you know you are doing what you're meant to do. How do you keep social and ensure that you don't go into, ironically, full isolation when you're when you're taking that step and, and starting out on your author journey? Yeah. So I mean, for me, we talked about the gym. So you know, starting to write, I wrote a book and then I started the query because that's back when I was traditionally published. So I started the whole query process, looking for a traditional publisher. And then I was working at the gym. So I guess the gym has always been an outlet for me, whether it's training or having friends to work out with or just making new friends at the gym. That's always been a really um, nice outlet to have. But I would say other than that, I still talk to a few friends that I had in college and then a few friends that I had um, even at the place that I worked before I quit. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Okay. One uh, one question going back to the gym, which is obviously related to what you just mentioned there and something that I've never been able to understand. How do you make friends at the gym? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me because I, spent, I, I go to the gym, I wouldn't say regularly, I'd say fairly semi-regularly. Um, but whenever I go, I, I normally go with a determination to get my shit done. Um, I'm probably listening to a podcast or whatever. Um, but even so, it, it seems very much that people have their clusters and this might be a difference between the gym that i go to or the gym you go to i'm not sure what the factors are but it seems to be a very much solitary venture that it's strange to then approach someone and make a friendship if that makes sense so i'd, I'd love to hear how how you make friends through uh, at the gym yeah so i'm going to give you all my insider secrets are you ready yes all right so the best way to go make a new friend at the gym is you make sure obviously that they're not having like either a podcast or they're not listening to anything with <laughs> headphones on, right? So that means that they're open to it. They're not just like completely shut off. And then a lot of the times what you can do is you can ask somebody like to help for a spot and just, you know, start up conversation, whether they're uh, spotting you doing bench press or something like that. Or even like if you catch somebody watching TVs, because at my gym, there's TVs all over the place. So whether it's like news or sports or something like that, you can see if they're reading it, they're into it. And then that gives you common ground to talk to them about whatever it is that was on the screen. Okay, useful. So take out the headphones, basically. Unplug. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, unplug. Because if somebody has their headphones on, then they probably don't want Mm -hmm. to be talked to. But, you know, if somebody does not have their headphones on, or you could just, like, be super creepy and just watch somebody for a while. And if you see them talking to other people, (laughs) 
then you know, you know, they're sociable and they want to have a conversation. So then you can have, you know, feel free going up and talking to them too. Yes. The irony there is that the only reason I started putting in the headphones was because it was very, very quiet. But I might have to, uh, <laughs> once the, uh, the gyms get back open and all this is over, I might have to give that a go, re-listen to this episode and uh, head back to the gym. Um, but you are, you, you do come across as a very, um, and not even just in this conversation, other conversations that I've sort of listened to or in sort of forums where I've seen you uh, uh, talking to other people. You seem to be a very positive guy, very, very driven. Um, you clearly are emphatic about self-development and, and making yourself as, as great as you can be. Um, where, where did that all start for you? What were the sort of drivers or how did you approach self-development and making yourself better? You know what? I was actually just talking to my wife about this the other day because I haven't always been like this. I would say that there's been a big change just in my own life since I started writing. So we'll just say within the last eight years and then probably even a bigger one within the last like two or three as I just started realizing that we are capable of so many great things. Like if you put your mind to it, like this is might sound crazy to you and crazy to everybody who's listening. But I honestly believe that there's not anything that we can't do. Like I've seen, I mean, if you gave me enough time, I could probably build a rocket ship. You know what I mean? If like, if all I had to do is research and learn and I had enough time to do it, I could probably build one in my backyard. Like I've built a publishing company we're going into foreign publishing. We just launched in Germany last month. We're going into film. Thanks, man. We're going into film and video games. And I think a lot of people kind of give themselves the excuses. I've heard this from so many indie authors. For whatever reason, they feel like, okay, I'm going to, I'm capable of uh, writing a book, publishing a book, launching it, and doing that well to make an income. But for whatever reason, then they start making excuses or drawing a line in their mind saying like, oh, but for audiobooks, you know, I'm going to wait for somebody to approach me or for like film, right? For film, don't I have to wait? Hollywood has to come to me, right? Mm. I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you just putting yourself in this box that this is only what you're capable of doing, that you're not capable of doing anymore? So over the last year or two, I just started saying like, hey, I'm not going to do that to myself, right? I honestly do believe that I could do anything. So now we've made huge moves in, uh, well, foreign publishing already started last month, but with the video games and now moving into the film industry, just seeing just like day in and day out, I just like, you know, one phone call or one meeting or one email, whatever it may be to like move that ball forward and things are happening. That's fantastic. And I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm very similar. I mean, I think there are certain things where, for example, if you're born and your height is four foot and that's where you're stuck, you're probably not going to be able to dunk in the NBA. But I think there are enough resources. And if, like you say, if you've got enough time just to learn anything, then you can. And I find it really, really interesting talking to uh, certain people. I won't, I'll avoid names or connections at this point, but I was talking to someone that um, I'm very, very close with who's uh, sort of, coming up to his 60s and I was astonished that he was celebrating the fact that in a few years he'll be retiring and he can just settle down for life and in my head I'm going but you've you'll be 60 65 you've got at least on average 20 extra years in which you can do stuff there's no there seems to be a lack of um I don't know if it's a lack of belief or a lack of want sometimes and I don't know which one is is worse in my opinion for certain people because like you say there is so much that you could do, but so many people impose these limitations on themselves without anyone saying that they can't do it and prevent themselves from achieving things that they would truly love to do. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who 
love writing and they they're good writers but they've just not done anything about it and it it it, it's difficult to watch sometimes because i know that they could do it but i can't make them do it and that's a really weird line and and to, to balance and tread yeah, I know what you mean. It's hard seeing it, right? I have uh, somebody who I would say that I looked up to as a mentor for a large part of my life. And this was a while ago. This is maybe like five or more years ago. But I was having a conversation with that person. And I told that person like, hey, I think I could do this. Like, I think that with, you know, a driven life that I can do it all. I can do everything I want. And that person told me that that's naive way of thinking that you can't do it all. And I just kind of looked at that person's life and just kind of like what we were saying before, right? They, they hit a certain level of success and then they just stopped mm. and then they just kind of like plateaued. And if that's what they want, I mean, more power to them. Like what you're saying, right? We can't want it for them. Yes. Like I know that person's capable of so much more, but we, it's like the matrix. I can only <laughs> show you the door. You have to walk through it. Yeah. That's so an interesting part I think there. about that. Go on. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Now I was going to say the interesting part there is, even though he's not living your life, he's directly trying to affect what you can and can't do and essentially offering you a chain to wrap around your leg. I think people want to tell you in life what you can't do because somewhere along the line, somebody told them that and they believed it Mm. and they stopped. And then seeing you have this dream and going forward reminds them of where they stopped and they don't like it because they see what you're doing and they know that they're capable of more, but they also see the sacrifice. They see those 5 a.m. wake up calls. They see the six days a week. They see that and they don't want to do that. So they'd rather tell you, no, 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 you can't do that. Stop because misery loves company. Mm. Absolutely. How much of what we're talking about here leads into the fact that a lot of your books now are self-published over traditionally published? Yeah, so I started off traditionally published, not with a big five publisher, just with you know a mid-list publisher. Great relationship with them, nothing bad to say, but I just saw what they were doing and I saw the percentage of the royalties they were taking. And I told myself, like, if I can you know, keep that percentage of royalties that they were taking, I feel like I could do the same job that they're doing and then obviously just make more money if I keep a bigger portion of the cut. Mm. So I started, uh, I think the first month that we started publishing we made 30 cents <laughs> and then we've built that 30 cents into you know a healthy income where I'm, I'm able to live in southern california my wife's able to quit her job and come home and we both run our publishing company living a you know a, a comfortable lifestyle mm. what would define success for you do you have a ceiling or is it very much a case of wherever the journey may take me I feel like success is always changing for me. So I started implementing, I don't know when I started, if it was year one, it might've been year one, actually eight years ago. I don't know where I heard this, but just a disclaimer, this is not my idea. I owe this idea (laughs) to somebody else, but it's every year you write down the five things that you want to accomplish in that year. And then you forget about it. You don't look at it every day. You don't remind yourself. You just write it down and then you put it away. So like in the back of your mind, you know, you like, you know that you're what you're working towards, but at the year end, you go back and look at that list and see which things you accomplished and which things you still need to work on. So for me, that list, you know, year one, it was like trying to get published. It was, I wanted to be on the panel. I wanted somebody to interview me. That was like (laughs) a big thing for me. I just wanted somebody to care. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, having your book, right? Right. Stuff like that. That meant so much in year one, uh, having my book in a bookstore, like stuff like that. And then over the years, you know, that's changes. I mark things that they, those things off the list. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that over time, my goals have changed as I realize that I've accomplished most of my goals, but some goals I realize like, Hey, it doesn't even really matter. Like my book in a bookstore is one of those. Like mm -hmm. I almost feel like that was just vanity on my part. I wasn't really sure what I wanted from that. Just besides, I think like, Oh, it'd be really cool. You know, if I had, I could walk into a bookstore and see my book on the shelf, you know, fast forward eight years. Now I'm thinking like, Hey, you know, film movies are right around the corner. That would be really cool. But who knows eight years from now, I could look book back on that and be like, ah, that wasn't that big of a deal. How do you track these goals? Do you keep them in a logbook somewhere where you can look back at them if you ever need to? Do you have a, a physical version of them? I think I just have, I don't think I've ever written them down. They're just in my phone and my notes. Okay. So yeah, it's not something that I, I look at every day. I might every once in a while, every few months, just kind of look back to be like, oh yeah, right. Like I was supposed to do that this year. Like that's my goal this year. But I almost mm. feel like just putting that behind you and just putting your you know, your shoulders down to the grindstone and getting to work every day, day in and day out. Because routine, just like the gym, right? If you yes. fall into a routine and just like day in and day out, you're grinding day in and day out, you're at the gym. It's almost like the results will happen uh, like magic almost, right? So it's not like you're like, oh, I have to have results. I have to have results. I have to have results. Just win the day. Worry mm. about winning each day and then the results will come. You'll love the Atomic Habits book. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, I'm going to check it out for sure. Yeah, it's literally this principle. It's uh, without massive spoilers, most, most of the, the, the lessons in there are about implementing enough of a system that the goal will manage itself. Yeah. So setting exactly, the train yeah. on the track and then just making sure that the train is working and it will get you there as long as you're making efficient use of your time and going in the right direction. Yes, 100%. So like writing the books the same way, right? So I write 4,000 mm -hmm. words a day. So I'm not going to worry about like, when am I going to finish the book? How am I going to finish the book? Will I finish the book? It's just like, write 4,000 words a day, and you will finish the book. Just yeah. concentrate on 4,000 words a day. Oh, I love it. It's so simple. Um, what would your advice be to new writers in 2020 compared to the advice that you might have given them back in 2012? I, that's, that's a great question. So first I would say, don't give up. I would give him a full on rock, Rocky Balboa speech <laughs> Tom, that, you know, they're going to get knocked down. That's inevitable. But the secret sauce is that you don't stay down because everybody gets knocked down, but how many times can you get back up? And if your answer is that you want it enough where you can keep on getting back up, that that number is unlimited, then you're going to make it. So um, that's one of the, the cornerstones. And then I would say the second thing is just be smart and uh, know your research, right? So like, read all the books, look up, you know, Chris Fox, listen to your podcast, because on your podcast, there's a bunch of great stuff too. Thank and you. yeah, for sure. Uh, I was a fan of your show even before you asked me on so I to a bunch of episodes. <laughs> Appreciate that. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, just like immerse yourself in the culture, right? The fastest way to learn a foreign language is to immerse yourself in the culture. So the same way, like when I was working on film, like I didn't know what a line producer was compared to a producer, compared to associate producer, executive producer. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I, I was just like back to school, right? School's back in session. So I'm just like reading articles and books and YouTube videos and podcasts and just educating myself. So I think for the new author, don't give up. Um, you know, hard days are going to come and you're going to get rejected and failures are going to come, but you don't give up. And then second would be like immerse yourself in the culture. Just learn as much as you can about covers 
about characters, about marketing, and then you'll make it. As long as you don't give up, you will make it. Fantastic. What is your main method of input when you're looking into getting into an arena? So say it's obviously at this point film. Is it books? Is it podcasts? Is it how, how do you get that information? I would say it was, it's all the above. So every day it's kind of like either an email or a new contact through Instagram or Facebook that I'm making. Um, whether it be like a John Cena, are you familiar with John Cena? I am. So John Cena was an option that we were talking to for the film for a while. Uh, LeBron James, um, different Dude. directors, the writer from uh, Doctor Strange and Dune. Oh, wow. These are like different people that, you know, you, you reach out to, you make connections, you provide value with your product. Uh, just, I would say doing it all, right? Articles, podcasts, every free minute I'm spending pursuing this avenue. And again, it's, it's not like it's happening easy. I've been on this trail for nine months, <laughs> but I, I could, I wouldn't imagine nine months ago that I would have had a call this week with the person who wrote, um, who wrote Dune and Dr. Strange. That's incredible. That was kind of, yeah, that was a wake up call. I'm like, mm. well, I guess, yeah. I guess we're getting there. Things are happening. Mm. I think particularly with the digital age and how easy it actually is to connect to anyone when you get the right um, addresses or contacts. It's definitely one of the things that I found in just podcasting itself. And uh, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I highly re recommend anyone who wants to get into this space to just jump into this space. It's never too crowded. But the amount of people that I have managed to talk and connect with just simply by reaching out and asking. Um, I mean, I'm not sure when this episode exactly will, end, uh, will air yet, but it would be either be last week or the week before. I, I had Jonathan Jans on the show, who's a horror author, who is one of my one of my people that I absolutely love. Um, and to think it was as simple as just reaching out on Twitter and being like, "Hey, do you want to come on the podcast?" and him going, "Yeah," and then getting a chance to sit for an hour and a half with someone who's an inspiration must must be very similar to your experience with the the guys you've been talking to. And there is an element of it can be easy if you just approach it in the right way. A hundred percent. And I feel too, like, even if you do get shut down, like a uh, no might not be a no forever. No. So, right, right, for sure. So I had a, uh, I pitched this film idea to somebody about six months ago and they were super nice, took the call, all that stuff. Again, really nice, nothing bad to say, but they're just, hey, at this time, you know, we're not in this position to be able to do anything with it. Like, you know, best of luck. Let's fast forward six months. Now this person is asking me because I picked up so much steam in this pro and this project has moved forward over the last, you know, six months. So now this person sees all the work and where it's come. And now this person's asking for a meeting. Have you ever gotten to a point where you felt like giving up? Oh, um, I don't, I'm trying to remember one point really sticks in my mind. It's not about writing. It's about working out. I uh, don't usually do CrossFit, but I was uh, traveling and I was with some friends and they do CrossFit. So I was working at CrossFit and it was brutal. Like it was <laughs> a hot day and CrossFit was done in this like warehouse out in the middle of nowhere, like a steel barn. So there we are just like sweating buckets. We're like half hour into this exercise. It's mostly cardio. I'm dying. My lungs are birthing can't breathe. And I think to myself, <laughs> maybe I should stop. And then I told myself like, maybe I should stop, but that's not who you are. You don't stop. That's not you. And I got back up and I just kept on going. Did you have to build that value system as a persona to begin with? Or because I, I remember you mentioned earlier that you've not always particularly been 
this way. What was it that, that triggered the determination, the never backing down that you have now? I think I've always been kind of crazy. I, uh, <laughs> at the same time that I stopped working for that company that I really didn't want to work for anymore, I also stopped drinking. So I've been sober now for eight years. And I feel like the alcohol for me, not for everybody, but for me, the way I was using it was to blanket, kind of look over, um, kind of numb myself to a lot of that get up and go of like who I was. So I was in a job that I didn't really like. I was drinking all the time and I was kind of using that as a crutch to just be complacent in life. So when I took all that away and stripped that back and there was no fallback of, you know, going out for drinks or fallback of me being numb, I really just had to look at myself, you know, in the mirror day in and day out and then do something with all that energy and all that time that I had. And I think from there, that was the beginning. And then it was, you know, listening to surrounding yourself um, with a tribe. So I'm, I'm big into wolves. I love wolves. My readers group on Facebook is Jonathan's Reading Wolves. I have wolves in all my books. That's my brand. Mm. So I always think to myself of just surrounding yourself with those hungry people, with those people who are pushing forward, not the people who are telling you, you know, you can't do it because somebody told them that years ago, but those people who are all striving to be better. And the more and more I've surrounded myself with that strong pack of people all headed in the right direction, I feel like that's fed my fire even more. They say that you are the product of the five people that you spend the most time with. Have you cultivated, have you carefully selected those five people for you? Who, who are they in your, in your example? Oh yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the, the biggest one is my wife because uh, my wife and I both work from home now. So she came, she quit her job at an advertising agency in January of 2019. So her, her for sure, her first of all. So it's every day we're just like, hey, I read this. Oh, did you read that article? What do you think about this? Just feeding ourselves and making ourselves stronger and, um, you know, just like bolstering one another to be mm. the best version that we can be. And then other than that, I almost feel like some of my best friends are just mentors in the community who don't even know me, but who, you know, who I listen to podcast every day or have consumed their own content. And other writers too. I can think of a, a few writers who I know who are working just as hard as I am and they're doing some exciting things too. And they're not just, you know, sitting down waiting for somebody to come to them with video game deals or waiting for somebody to come to them with movie deals. Like they're actively taking steps to make this happen. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very key point there that when when I started looking to that, I was very conscious of I was looking at people who are physically around me. Um and at the time, I was listening to a lot of the, the Tim Ferriss podcast, which I don't know if you've listened to, but it's, it's a fantastic resource for listening yeah. to yeah, all those fantastic people and how they, how they um, pretty much do the things that you're saying. And it wasn't until later that I was like, well, I probably spend more time with Tim Ferriss than I do some of the people that I'm considering within my wheelhouse, within my five people. Right. Um, and you can actually build yourself that way. And, and it doesn't always have to be that physical relationship. It's, it's, it's what you choose to absorb yourself in at that time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I think it's, you know, who you are consuming content and what you're listening to. There's a YouTube channel called Motiversity, and they have tons of motivational talks. So every once in a while, I'll wake up in the morning. If I'm not feeling it, I'll throw that in as I'm getting ready, you know, brushing my teeth, um, changing, getting some water, whatever it is. And I'll just have somebody, you know, just like just speaking like truth into your life. Like, 
Yes, mm. you can. Reminding you how bad you wanted it. Why did you do this in the first place? Like, you know, just telling you, just being that arm on your shoulder saying, come on, let's go. It's time to conquer another day. You mentioned that your your wife is obviously one of your big your big uh, uplifters, someone that you um, that boosts you up and you complement each other very, very well. How would you recommend someone who potentially isn't in a relationship where that dynamic is set up um, and is potentially a lot more negative, or maybe not negative, but maybe um, their partner's not so much into the self-development, into the, the growth mindset? How would you recommend that someone potentially navigate that to continue trying to develop themselves and get to a point where their author career takes off? Yeah. So I guess the first point is I don't feel like you need anybody in your life to tell you that, to give you permission or to tell you that you can, like you have to believe it first. It has to live inside of you. You know, that fire saying like, yes, I am going to do this. Like no Mm -hmm. excuses. So that's first. But second, to your point, I do agree. It does help if your spouse or your partner is supportive of what you do. So I feel like in that case, you can, you know, start little, maybe it's not like telling your spouse or a significant other that, you know, hey, everything I do, I want you to pat me on the back and give me words of affirmation, you know, help me out. But maybe there's something that you are mutually interested in. So whether it's uh, eating healthy, maybe it's a certain subject that you're interested in, maybe it's sports, but I feel like it's finding common ground first that you can encourage each other in and then have that bleed into other aspects of your life. Perfect. How do you reward yourself when you complete the project? I'm a bad person to ask this question to. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my wife and I joke all the time because I really don't like things. I don't know what it is. I really don't <laughs> like things. Like uh, I usually reward myself by just starting the next project. I'm the same. Um, every once in a while, like I think my big ask last year is I wanted a Viking drinking horn. Is that what I caught you drinking out of earlier? Yeah, yeah. So I have my Viking drinking <laughs> horn that, you know, I think my I, my wife got it for me for like a Father's Day. But even then, it's like nothing crazy. I think that was like 20 or 30 bucks maybe on Amazon. Mm. Yeah, I think you get to a point where, or for certain people, I know it's the same with myself, where certain material possessions aren't what I'm in this business for. And I, I'm the same. There's nothing where, like, it would be nice if I could say to myself, once I've completed X, I can get myself X. But I think I'm the same as you. I'm very much a case of, okay, I've finished one thing. My, ne- my treat now is to get started on the thing that I've been wanting to get to, but couldn't because of the other thing. Right. And, and everybody's different. So I don't want to like put anybody else down who might be like, hey, you know, they really like celebrating. I think that's good. So if you know, yeah, if you accomplish something, whether it's writing a book or hitting a bestseller chart or entering the four market, whatever it is for you, and you're one of those people who likes to celebrate, do it because that feeds you. Everybody's different. So I would mm. say go celebrate. But the key is, not sitting in that celebration, right? Because the next day it's time to get back to work. Absolutely. Um, what would your profession be if you weren't a writer? Probably a personal trainer. Full-time, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, and since we're coming up to the end of our time and we have a quick fire round to go yet, I will ask my final question. I ask, um, which you can take this whichever way that you want, which is why do you, Jonathan Yanez, write? Because it's what I was born to do. Simple. I love it. Okay. Um, we did mention before we started recording that you wanted to take an attempt at making this the fastest quick fire round that we've had, um, which I am going to set the standard now. I've got a stopwatch in front of me and I'll be able to give you time at the end. Um, are you familiar with Top Gear at all? 
No, I mean, uh, I've never seen it, but I understand it's some sort of show with racing cars, I think. Yeah, they have a, or they used to have, obviously, when they were in there. I've not seen it in years, but they used to have, like, a, the fastest lap um, oh, on nice. a particular track with celebrities, so this could be my version of that. Um, yeah, I'm ready. I'm excited. Yep, well, I'll throw the questions at you. By all means, pass on any that you don't want to answer. They're all relatively simple. They're all fun. Um, don't take them too seriously, and let's go. Okay, so I'm going to hit play and then ask the questions. And leg day or hump day leg day cheese or onion cheese what's your life mantra never give up uphill or downhill uphill who was the last writer to make you smile dean Koontz. what's your favorite ocean pacific how many hats do you own two what do you drive suv who's one person you'd like to meet the rock what's your greatest achievement to date my daughter 25 seconds Hey, nice. I don't know who's going to beat it than that. I was not hesitating at all. So if anybody no, that... can do more than 25 <laughs> seconds, my hat's off to you. One of my two hats is off to you. <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that time as well, just to uh, put it on the scoreboard. Um, I thought the question that might stump you would be the what's your life mantra. But obviously you already had that prepared and good to go because this is your whole, your whole bag. Yeah, I felt like that was one of the easier ones. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> one bonus question for you, which is where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? Uh, so let's see, if you go to Facebook and just put in my name, Jonathan Yanez, it's Y-A-N-E-Z. I have a Facebook page that I update regularly. Also, I have a private readers group. If It's geared towards my science fiction fantasy. So if that's something that you enjoy, it's called Jonathan Yanez's Reading Wolves. And you can join that. I'm on Amazon. And then my website is jonathan-yanez.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for spending this time with me, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, for sure. I had a great time talking to you. I didn't even really feel like I was like on a podcast or interview or anything. Just felt like talking to a friend. That's what I go for. Home comforts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by sci-fi and weird fantasy author and host of the self-publishing Spotlight podcast, Tom Ashford. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare. Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love and Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at dominosoundco to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. 
Acast, Acast, Acast recommends. recommends.